This is Tom Bernard. Can't get enough of sports talk with Phil Mackey and Judd Zolgad. Tune in to the new Tom Bernard Show podcast Monday through Friday as Phil and Judd join me to discuss the latest sports headlines and whatever else comes to mind. Just download the Tom Bernard Show app wherever you get your podcasts or visit TomBernardShow.com. It's another way to get more from me and Judd talking sports and having fun with Tom and it's all at your fingertips. Download the Tom Bernard Show app now and join the conversation. You're listening to a Score North podcast right now, and if you're a business owner, so are your customers. In fact, I could be talking about your business right now, telling the tens of thousands of loyal fans about you and sending them to your business. Find out how you can partner with your favorite Score North podcast. Visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Fill out the form, and we'll get in touch with you quickly. Once Phil, Judd, Declan, or others start talking about your company, you'll be amazed at how many fans start showing up. So visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. It's nothing like starting your day with a jackknifed semi-truck on University. Judd, Judd had to had get to, very creative. Judd had here. to go to Surly to get here this morning. Yep. They were closed, unfortunately. <laughs> and I just about stayed. <laughs> First pitch. You guys open yet? I went there after the Wolves game last night hoping that it was open. The green flag teeing off. Becky and Judd are on the air. Getting things started with something we like to call the opening bell. Good at what is called deceleration. It's not a one-on-one game, and so everyone has to understand that. So if they're going to double team, that means it's going to be easy for other people. And if they're going to switch, we have to make the right reads, and so. If we're making the right plays, the game will tell you who's going to get the shots. And as long as we take good shots, then I think we're going to score. All right, Judd, we're going to get to Wild here because uh, I I think Judd's inspirational speech over these airwaves on Saturday may have led the Wild to a dominating performance last night. Actually playing last night? We'll get to that. Can we discuss the... the um, highlight, I guess you could call it that, the Mon- the Carl Anthony Towns from last night, montage of him being wide open and well, not getting the ball at all. Let's loop Dave in on this, because, like, literally, while well, Dave was reading the update there before the before the uh, the show started, I showed Judd a montage of someone put together on Twitter. I retweeted it. I can't remember the guy's handle, but someone put together after the game last night a montage of the Houston Rockets defense. This is going to get a little X's and O's on you, but... The Houston Rockets defense switched every pick and roll last night. Yes. And as a result of switching every pick and roll, for about a third of the game, for at least you know brief periods during possessions, point guards like Chris Paul or shooting guards, smaller players were guarding Carl Anthony Towns. Or nobody. Or nobody was guarding Carl Anthony Towns. Exactly and, what Chuck was talking about on TNT. Yes. Chuck called. Do we have that here, actually? Yes, we do. Uh, Charles Barkley called. <laughs> I'll let you hit this, Dave. Charles Barkley called... The Minnesota Timberwolves, one of the dumbest teams he's ever seen in his entire life. Let me just say this one thing about the, the Minnesota Timberwolves. They got to be one of the dumbest teams I've ever seen in my life. I mean, well, dumb. because Houston Rockets switch every pick and roll. There's mismatches all over the floor. They never take advantage of any mismatches. They don't want their coach to get mad and start yelling. <laughs> no, Chuck, Houston Rockets switch everything. There was five or six times where they switched Chris Paul to, to, to Big Cat, and so they put uh, the guard, had Capella on the floor. He cleared out. 
and let him go, instead of him getting Chris Paul or James Harden down the box, he cleared out to let the point guard go one on one. That's not good basketball. That, first of all, he can guard some of those guys, but if you've got little guys guarding you down the post, you can get those shots anytime. It dry, I just hate dumb basketball, man. I mean, it's, I told you this. It's yeah. like watching a boxer with one hand tied behind his back trying to win a fight and, and like kind of having a chance. They almost won the game last night. Here's they what, still almost won the game I last know, night. I know, but here's what drives me crazy. We sat in this studio last week and talked about the very fact that if you're going if you're going to give yourself any chance to beat Houston in this series, you have to come out with something creative that's just not your thing, right? You mean creative like giving the best no, offensive player on no. your team the ball? But we but we That's al- really creative. But we, but we also I also said I would start with having Carl Anthony Towns shoot as many threes as possible because he is your best three-point shooter. The montage shows that he is wide open for corner threes, which you have always told me what? Corner threes are what? Well, the, it's the most efficient yes, job. Yes, it's the most efficient. So this is what makes no sense. And should he demand the basketball? Absolutely. But I'm sorry. It shouldn't take that much to say if this is what Houston's going to do, then we are going to exploit that, and we are going to have Carl Anthony Towns yeah. shoot more than nine times and score more than eight points. Like, it's... It's it's so conflicting again. This has been the story of the season for the Timberwolves because again, they almost beat the best team in the NBA on the road in game 1 last night. They had a lead in the, in the fourth quarter. It was kind of back and forth. They were down. Uh, they had a chance when Chris Paul turns the ball over inexplicably with 10 seconds to go. They get the ball back down by 3 and this is where you tie a hand behind your back again. Jace Frederick had this. He's going to join us in about an hour from the Pioneer Press. The Timberwolves this season, in the final seconds of games in which they are tied or down by one, two, or three points, are two for 18 from the field. Jimmy Butler is 0 for 12 from the field. And again, last night, his foot was in front of the line, too. So even if he makes that shot, it would have been a two-point shot. But, um, like, it's... They've they got to 47 wins and they almost beat the Rockets in game one, despite the fact that they don't feed their best offensive player. They take horribly inefficient, ridiculous hero ball shots at the end of games. They don't defend the three very well, even though the Rockets, the Rockets statistically shot poorly from three. It wasn't because of great Wolves defense. They just missed a lot of wide open threes. Even Mike D'Antoni said that after the game. Um, so it's uh, last night. Now we're back. It was a feel good game yeah. a few days ago. Get to the playoffs, beat Denver. Now we're back to frustrating Timberwolves basketball. All I'm going to say is this. Some Yahoo sitting in a studio at the station should not say, you know what might be a good idea to get Cat shooting threes. Then Houston gives you that and you don't take that, okay? Life's not that tough. I mean, like, and that, I, I mean, it's just not that tough. I've, I've heard this one, too, that, uh, well, Houston would just double-team Towns anyways in the post, and but you want that because Towns is actually a good passer. So yes. if, if you get... If Houston double teams Towns in the post because, hey, Chris Paul's on him and it's a mismatch after a pick-and-roll switch, now all of a sudden there's open lanes for, uh, well, there's open potential three-point shots. It's Anyways, like there's much more meat on this bone. Uh, I actually have a theory, a deep thought theory on the Timberwolves that okay. I want to run by you later on this hour. All right. But uh, this also happened yesterday. Ding, ding. Matt Demba, who has a goal here tonight, rings that around, buffling on it. At the wall, sealed by Granlin, who picks up the puck, shows it back in front, Stoll shoots, scores! Oh, what a feed by Granlin! Derek Stoll, 4-2 wild! Now from the point, that shot by Prosser is blocked, loose puck in front, Greenway spins, scores! Jordan Greenway, his first career playoff goal, and 
that that'll do to get the Wild back into uh, the series against the Jets. Now, do you think this is a sign of a series changing and and the Wild taking control of the series here? Yep. Or do you think this just follows a very similar formula where the Wild falls down early, usually on the road in a playoff series, shows some fight, you know, gets on the power play a couple times, backs against the wall in the series, mm-hmm. punches back only to succumb in five or six games anyway. Let me answer that question with uh, with uh, the records for this team in playoff series since they returned. They had a four-year drought, I think, and then they got back to the playoffs in the first year of Prezi and Suter in 2013. Since 2013, the Wild have gone 1-15 and in games 1 and 2 of series. They beat St. Louis in 2015, but they are 1-15 in games 1 and 2, including uh, the two defeats to the Jets Wednesday and Friday. They have rebounded to go 6-2 and two in game threes, including last night. Hmm. So if you... And that's fr- with different coaches. It's with different coaches. It's with some different players. It's with a core group of players that is that is somewhat the same, but not completely. But the point being is, last night, I got a couple tweets last night saying, wow, when you lit them up on... Saturday, it sure must have worked because you saw this coming. That record right there explains this has nothing to do with me. This is the most predictable group of people, and this is the most predictable <laughs> franchise I've ever seen. You knew what was going to happen last night, and they give up the fluky goal to start the game, and people are like, oh boy, here we go. And I thought to myself, no, they're going to come back now. They're going to rally and they're going to play well. This is their this is their game three strategy on a yearly basis. So do I for one second say look, that, that last night is going to be a springboard to something better? Absolutely not. I need to see game four. I need to see game five. Hell, I need to see five more years of any consistency whatsoever. Yeah. When you are when you are one and 15 in games one and two, that's hard to do. That's hard to do in a sport where, as we've talked about, luck plays a role. In 16 games, you've only won once. Yeah, I think my concern, first of all, like they, they deserve credit in a vacuum. Yesterday was an, an amazing performance. Uh, the ice tilted in uh, in their favor. I think the uh, the potentially unsustainable part is for sure the first, how many goals off power plays? For sure the first two yesterday. Last were off night? Power play. Like they took a lead they, off they power were two, play goals. They right? were two for three after being one for five in the first two so games. They, but the they, but they jumped out and, yes. and they, they tied the game and they grabbed momentum on the power play. And I think, and I've heard you and Kyler talk about this, that one of the strategies should be, if you're going to beat the Jets in this series or win games in the series, bait them into taking dumb penalties. But that seems like a really unsustainable long-term strategy. All right, just, like, trick them into taking dumb penalties every game and, like, just dangle a little meat in front of them and they'll attack you and then they'll go to the penalty box like they're a bunch of Elmer Fudds or something. Uh, You're just going to trick them into beating them. Here's the key thing. And this is why Friday was so bad. Game one was not bad. Game game one actually went to a blueprint that, that you said that's a game that they could have and possibly should have won. Game two was awful because starting in the second period, the Jets decided we're going to beat you up by hitting you. So physically, not fighting. And the Wild coward. And that has nothing to do with skill. The, the Jets are a more physical team than you. But that does not preclude you from coming back and hitting them back as far as the checking game goes, which they did last night. You do that, the Jets get frustrated, the Jets take dumb penalties, you get power plays. So so what was maddening about Friday was not the fact that the team is not as skilled as the Jets. It's that the Jets beat them up, and they, and they said, oh, okay, until, until they did the thing, and I saw this on Twitter last night, and this even drives me nuts. 
Well, you see, they sent a message in those last 10 oh, seconds stop. on Friday. No. Oh, okay. No. Uh, here's no. Okay. That was... Im- Number one, you don't decide in the last 10 seconds of, of a game in which you've cowered that you're now tough. That's just fake. The other thing is they came back last night and they played physical and they played well. The message in the last 10 seconds is the biggest bunch of garbage in a, That is one of the stupidest narratives I've ever heard. I'm proud of you for seeing the light on this. I, oh, thought, I thought you might I be a little Friday, more the, middle of the road on no, this. If they, had, if they had, in the second period when the Jets started to hit them on Friday, if they had come back and responded then, I would have said, okay, that's fine. Right. But when you're going to go tough guy in the last 10 seconds, give me a bleeping break. That's okay. embarrassing. Let's talk more about that. You know, for the record, Wolves and Rockets game two on Wednesday. If they're down late, if 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 they're down by fifteen or twenty, I think it's Cole Aldridge time. I think Cole Aldridge needs to like send it. a message. I Clint like Capella. It. That's right, right below the basket. James Harden. I think you send a message. Set the tone for game three back I at Target right. Center. Yeah. I think you're right. Um, Wild I'll, fans would love it. Also, we are so we're guest free in the nine o'clock hour today. Lindsey Whalen's going to join at noon today. Derek Wetmore on Twins or lack thereof. At 11.30. And uh, Jace Frederick, he put out a great nugget. We we referenced it like 10 minutes ago about Hero Ball and how it hasn't worked at all for the wolves laden games. He's going to join us from the Pioneer Press at 10.15. But because we're guest-free this hour, if you want to chat Wild or Wolves, we will open up both of those vent lines. We found one of the Two tech vent guys, lines at once? One of the tech guys down the hallway had to help us set up both vent oh, lines at the same time. That's a lot of vent lines. So 651-646-8255-877-615-1500. It's Mackie and Judd from the TCL Broadcast Studios. Mackie and Judd are back. Audio levels full volume. It's go time. On 1500 ESPN. How can Carl Anthony Towns have nine shots? Because the, 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 dumb, the, the dummies out there... <laughs> The dummies out there won't pass in the ball because they switch every time instead of him going to the box because y'all on ruin the NBA got everybody out here jacking up threes. Nobody passed the ball to the big man anymore. They switched probably 20 to 30 to 40 times that game where they had James Harden or Chris Paul guarding the big guy. They switch everything. And instead of them throwing the ball down low to Carl Anthony Towns, they, he cleared out. He takes some responsibility. Like, I would have been screaming to he- high heavens, like, give me the ball, give me the ball. He clears out and let the guard go one-on-one. I, I would say. Not only that, Ernie, in a game of this magnitude, yeah. he, has to, he has to demand the ball also. Well, yeah, he, has to, he has to go to the guy and be like, listen, man, they switching. I got little guys on me. Our jumpers ain't falling. Give me the damn ball. I mean, because he is the you know, number one option on the team. What does, I love how Shaq always sounds like he has a Philly cheesesteak in half of his mouth when he breaks down the NBA. And he might. You got it, man. What are you saying? He's just like, he's not blinking, just stoic. Um, open vent lines for Wild and Wolves all hour. We're going to get to a Chansey and Will here in just a second, but 651-646-8255-877-615-1500. So I, I do agree with what Barkley and Shaq said that – it, I mean, obviously, it's easy for people to say you should just demand the ball. You should, if you're Carl Anthony Towns, you should demand the ball. And to some extent, yeah, if you know you have a mismatch and you're that good, and it's not like Towns is has a meek personality, right? If you, I know he's young and this is his first playoff game, and there's a bunch of veterans around him that are probably much more uh, vocal in terms of leadership. But you know, make it known that I've got Chris Paul on me five times in the first half, and I'm not touching the ball. Throw the ball into me. I don't know if he's empowered to lead like that, though. Everything I've heard, this is just like second, third-hand stuff that I've heard behind the scenes, Judd, mm-hmm. is that from a leadership standpoint on this team, 
it's the Tibbs and Butler show, and now Derrick Rose to some extent, and everyone else is clearly a subordinate. And so I don't know, again, like if you're Towns, demand the ball and play better and all those things. Yep. But at the same time, I don't know if Tom Thibodeau and Jimmy Butler have set up a culture of two-way communication and collaboration. But but this is exactly why he has to go in at, at timeouts and demand it. The only way these two are going to to listen to Cat is if Cat says, "Shut up, give me the ball." Do if, you envision that happening you, in a Tom Thibodeau locker to, room? I think it has to happen because if he doesn't do it, guess what? Butler and Tibbs are going to steamroll everybody, and the only way that you can stop somebody from steamrolling you is to get in their face and say, "No, you don't understand. I have to have." the ball. Now, will that work for sure? I don't know. But that's the only chance. Like, if you say, well, geez, look, guys, I, I got guards on me and it might help, they're going to be like, you know what? We're alphas here. The only way to get to alphas like them is to basically stand up to them and say, I have to have the basketball. To out-alpha them yes. in the huddle. No, but, but I'm serious. Yeah. No, I mean, I, if, if you don't do that, they are going to continue to say, we're doing our thing be quiet, sit down. And I don't even I don't even disagree with that, but I think number 2 here the the bigger issue. And again, they almost won that game. So it's it's crazy that's what's that we're sitting here like about they, it. Right. That was a winnable game one. Correct. But obviously, getting the ball to their best most efficient offensive scorer wasn't a team priority. Like it clearly wasn't in the team strategy. Even though Tom Thibodeau after the game spoke about taking advantage of mismatches and understanding so either they're blocking him out entirely on the offensive end, too, or it just wasn't properly communicated. Hey, um, there's a guy who's seven feet tall that can make a shot from everywhere, and he has a six-foot guard on him after these pick-and-roll switches. Here's my deep thought, all right? And and I've, I've had this feeling throughout the season, too, but even more so last night when you're playing against one of the most cohesive team-friendly units of basketball players in the NBA. And also, by the way, they have some of the best players. Like The Rockets and the Warriors are the best combinations of elite talent and team-first mentality. Mm -hmm. And so when the Wolves are up against the Rockets or the Wolves are up against Golden State, it's magnified even more the deficiency between the Rockets' team-oriented style of play and the Wolves' lack of team play. And I just don't think the Wolves play to make each other better. I don't think they're out there... Like, there was a couple times where James Harden, who's, like, very ball-centric, but there's a couple times where he passed up wide-open shots just to go in and, like, get Clint Capella an alley-oop. Because he's thinking, okay, how do I let, – let's 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 share the ball around but here. Where, let's share the love. But where does that start? That starts with coaching. Yeah, well, Mike D'Antoni is one of the more, yes. like, ball-movement, team-centric coaches in the NBA's history. But can you go ima- back to the Suns. But can you imagine D'Antoni or uh, uh, Brad Stevens or Popovich looking at Cat and being like, ah, what you're doing is fine. Yeah, or, or even like the like the players on the court thinking that way, being coached by those guys you just mentioned. I mean, I they it, they're a collection of individual yes. talents that only intersect as a team intermittently. Which, which goes back to what? Which goes back to to the era in which Tibbs as a coach would have thrived, the '90s. Well, he thrived five years ago too. That's the that's, I that's get the that, but part. but what I'm saying is his style, his belief in basketball thrived in the '90s. If Tibbs could go back to the days of hand-checking and let's goon it up inside, he would. He would. This is a guy who, and this is the problem, he doesn't look at this as a team and say, how can I get the most from the entire team? He looks at Jimmy and thinks, my God, do I love that man. My God, <laughs> yes. do I, Take do a I 360 like it. spinning three-pointer you know with Jimmy, your foot you on the just, line at the end of the game. You shoot the ball. 
the the new NBA coach would look at what happened to Cat last night and say that will never happen again. Do you have any faith that Wednesday night this is going to be altered drastically? Because I don't. I just think it's – if and this is Tom Thibodeau real quick here. Tom Thibodeau after the game. Listen to what he says and then think back to what the Wolves did or didn't do on the court. It's not a one-on-one game, and so everyone has to understand that. So if they're going to double-team, that means it's going to be easy for other people. And if they're going to switch, we have to make the right reads. And so if we're making the right plays, the game will tell you who's going to get the shots. So he's clearly aware of, I mean, he's not, he's been in basketball for, he's been in the NBA for like 30 years. He's, I I don't want to patronize him and say that like he's, he doesn't see what's happening. He obviously sees that the Rockets are switching point guards onto Carl Anthony Towns. And so, so if he wants that ball to go into Carl Anthony Towns, either he's terrible at communicating that to his team or the Jeff Teagues and the Jamal Crawfords and the Jimmy Butlers and the Andrew Wiggins are completely ignoring what would what would have been an advantageous game plan. He's, That's what's frustrating. He's pointing it on Carl Anthony Towns to get the ball. Instead of saying, guys, sit down, be quiet, here's what, what we have to do, Tibbs' world revolves around Cat coming in there and saying, give me the ball. You've got to give me the ball. I will. And that's the problem here. Because because Cat is from a generation where I don't think that that's the go-to way to do things. Right or wrong, I don't think it is. And so Tibbs knows exactly what should happen. But in Tibbs' world, for that to happen, Cat has to demand it as opposed to telling the team, all right, this doesn't work. He's If, if Carl Anthony Towns, who is a great three-point shooter, is wide open for a corner three, somebody's got to swing him the damn ball. 651-646-8255-877-615-1500. Wolves and Wild Vent Lines open all hour. Chansey, we'll start with you. Hey, guys. Uh, thanks for taking my call. Mm-hmm. First off, self-imposed uh, accountability session here. I did call after the uh, last or the first Denver game and went on a pretty hot rant saying the Wolves wouldn't make the playoffs. So I just want to hit myself with the buzzer and uh, lower my slugging percentage because I think that was wrong. Join the club, Chancey. It's okay. Yeah. Yes, no problem. Now, now I'll bring more uh, irrational takes that I'll probably uh, be wrong again. But <laughs> no worries. Yeah. That's all good. Yeah, no problem. First off, I got three things. My least favorite Timberwolf, Jamal Crawford. I, is he the biggest black hole in the NBA? I mean, he does make the occasional wild shot, but if he makes one shot, the next time the ball touches his hands, you know what's going up, no matter what. It does hand in the face, fadeaway three-pointer, eight feet behind the line. It doesn't matter. Yeah. And uh, it's just, I don't want to see him on the court anymore. I, I'm t- kind of tired of the Wolves announcers, even on the FSN, defending it. Well, you got to live with it. That's Jamal Cup. Yeah, no, you don't have to I think, I think uh, he's a really redundant skill set on this team. Like, if you if you had a bunch of Ricky Rubios on the team who were just only looking to pass for the most part, then, like, okay, Jamal Crawford probably fits better. But the fact that you already have ball-centric Jeff Teague, ball-centric Andrew Wiggins, ball-centric Jimmy Butler, and now you're adding ball-centric Jamal Crawford for 20 minutes. It feels really redundant. Yeah. Yeah, well, you know, I don't mind a heat check when you've made three in a row, but the first time you make a shot, the next one's got to be a heat check for him, and that that gets really tiring (laughs) watching over and over. So true. Second, you know, the second thing is for Towns, I kind of think that a little bit I will put on him when when Shaq is talking about for him demanding the ball. One of the issues I see is I want him to get down on the blocks. It's a lot harder to be avoided when you're standing on the blocks with a smaller guard clapping your hands. But when you are floating the perimeter, and I know he's a good three-point shooter, or you're setting that high pick and roll, uh, it is a lot easier to avoid you because 
as soon as a guard or somebody makes their first move to the hoop, he's out of the picture, right? He's behind them. I want him on the block clapping and uh, demanding it right there because he is pretty tough when he's down on the blocks, but he does have a tendency to float outside and look for the three. Um, and then the third point I would bring up is I, I'm just not a fan of Jimmy Butler taking these last end-of-game shots anymore. I mean, he they won the game in Denver in overtime or against Denver in overtime, but it was a fadeaway jump shot from the corner there last night, the spin move, fadeaway three-pointer, even the games earlier in the season. I mean, I remember them – him pounding the ball uh, when they were in New Jersey way earlier in the season, and a fadeaway jumper clangs off the rim. Is that the best look we can get at the end of the game? I mean, Jimmy Butler may be a good all-around player, but I'm not sure he's Kobe in his prime. And the way they approach the end of the game, it's like they think they do have Kobe or Michael Jordan with the ball. Yeah, those are uh, yeah. Chances. That's a great point. Thanks for the calls, man. And By the way, six five one six four six eight two five five. Open vent lines. The answer to your question is that is definitely not the best shot. I don't get that one. That's the one thing, the Butler, almost everything I like a lot, but the hero ball at the end of games, which which seems to be Jimmy, Jimmy has ball, Jimmy's going to shoot and clear out, I don't understand it. And Jimmy is, according to the Pioneer Press, 0 for 12 on those shots with the clock ticking down this season. 0 for 12. And once again, you have Carl Anthony Towns on your team. If you look at that play at the end of the game again, Jeff Teague is actually curling off a pick and roll off the. They, they, I don't know if it was an official off the ball pick and roll, but he was curling around the top of the key with no defender, wide open, clapping his hands. And Butler was obviously thinking nothing about passing the ball in that situation. But and that's why, like that's, I'll say it again. I, this is an incredible collection of individual talents, and they only really intersect as a team once in a while. That's offensively and defensively. It's pretty obvious they're not playing to make each other better. And when you watch what the Warriors have built the last few years, and that's a better collection of talent, and you could argue there's four Hall of Famers on that team right now, depending on your thoughts on uh, Draymond Green. I think Clay Thompson, just on based on his shooting numbers, is going to get there. So not only do you have four Hall of Fame caliber players, but they're all looking. They're not just playing like isolation ball. They're all looking to Absolutely. move the ball around. And, yeah, which they should be. Yes, and, and it's the opposite and the watching the Wolves. And they almost, well. they, they almost won despite all these things, which is even more frustrating. Because if you were to just like be a little bit more mindful of mismatches and Carl Anthony Towns and we, a little less hero ball here, maybe you win that game in game one. We as sports fans in, in this town are, are saying, boy, geez, they came close. We should be upset that the Wild and Wolves both lost game one. Both of those games, if this was a winning sports town, we would be ticked off right now. We would be because both of those games, you're on the road, eminently Winnable games. The Rockets last night, 10 of 37 on threes. That ain't going to happen again. A lot of wide open misses, too. They were also without two of their best rotation players last night. It's worth noting. So they were playing shorthanded. Three three of 25. Harden made 7 of 12. The rest of the team on three-pointers for Houston, 3 of 25. Will, you're on the show. Hey, thanks for taking my call. Um, I'm convinced that... Tom Thibodeau is no longer the best option as coach. Um, you hear him talk in the post-game press conference about the Rockets switching on all the screens. So, you know, he's not stupid. He knows what's going on. But the fact that he's not able to communicate that to his players and get his players to exploit that is just unacceptable. You know, I, I think he's not a good enough communicator to coach in the NBA. I mean, look at Wiggins, you know, this great talent. He's just not getting enough out of him. You know, this entire team, you have two of the top 15 players in the league, 
yet you're you know fighting for an eight seed. You know, I mean, look look last night. We have the talent to play with one of the best teams in the NBA. You know, the Rockets right now they might be the best team in the NBA. We have the talent to run up and down the floor with them, but you know because we, he can't communicate to them, hey. You know, when they put a little guy guarding our big guy, give him the ball. You know, the fact that he can't get that through to his players is just unacceptable. I, if he can't communicate that, he can't be our coach. I, I think we have to change. Yeah, well, I don't – I mean, like, that's the frustrating thing is that he's he sits there after every game pointing out the things like any smart basketball mind would, pointing out the things that they should have done differently. They should have taken better advantage of mismatches. Well, are they just going out there and are they just disobeying whatever you're saying in the huddle? Uh, Brandon. You're on the Mackie and Judge Show. Hey, man. Uh, I appreciate you guys taking my call here. In the past, I've called in and tried to be a voice of reason of sorts, but I just got you know a couple of things that kind of irked me about Wolves fans in general and about you know how I pers- personally view the team. This team is exactly who they were set up to be. You know that that's that's exactly it. They were going to play the ball in the post, rely on twenty foot jump shots from Jimmy Butler, and had really no three point shooter outside of Carl Anthony Towns and Belly. So anybody who's surprised that, that this has happened, I mean, they, where were you the entire year? Even without Jimmy Butler, I think the team has no ball movement on offense. I mean, that's the biggest problem. You can have a team with no three-point shooters if you create open looks for 30% shooters where 40% shooters knock them down when they're contested. But this team has no ball movement. I mean, look at lesser talented teams. The Denver Nuggets, on paper, much less talented than the Wolves. Some of the best ball movement in basketball. Same thing with Utah Jazz, Portland Trailblazers. Indiana. Teams who are as talented, yeah. exactly, as the upper echelon teams, swing that ball around like it's on fire, trying to get good looks because that's what they have to do to neutralize their deficiency. The Wolves just don't do that. Mm-hmm. When, Jim, when people complain about Jamal Crawford, I mean, this is who he's been his entire career. That's why he's played on, what, 11 teams, I think? And He's never been a guy who's anything but a guy who's going to come in and shoot right away. When he played with the Clippers, that was what they needed him to do more than anything. They were worried about lobs and 15-foot jump shots and fast breaks. He fit in perfectly. The team was built to compete in games. I'm so happy he said it in the 1990s. You can't sit here and expect these guys. I mean, I'm sorry if they don't have the talent to play with the Rockets. Houston shot horribly last night. The Wolves had a chance to steal a game. Jeff Keith throws the ball away pitifully. Tips looks like a JV coach trying to figure out if he wants to continue coaching or continue teaching Jim. That's the play you run. I, this is just a completely pitiful performance of a very, very talented roster. That's a couple of shooters away from being anything worth higher than a five. Yeah, Brandon, that's a, that's a, that's a good vent line call there. Let's take a break here. A while and Wolves vent lines are open. Judd was the inspiration, if you were listening on Saturday to 1500 ESPN, Saturday morning sports talk. We have to go back and revisit the Brooks. inspiration. Was that? Were you thinking Herbie Brooks in your mind when you started? Herbie Brooks. Yep. Nice. Uh, also, another another thing from the Wolves Rockets game last night. Uh, it's very obvious when you just look at minutes played for some of the players, like what Tom Thibodeau has a has I a mind don't know to who do you're with ta- this team. I have no or, idea who you're talking about. All right, Mackie and Judd. Phil Mackey, Judd Zolgad. They're so mentally unsound that they need some inspiration. <laughs> Mackey and Judd on 1500 ESPN. i got to be better um, on both sides of the basketball. And, um, you know, at the end of the day, I trust my teammates full-heartedly when they get the ball that they could go out there and score every single time. And um, when you're playing with such talented players, it, sometimes the game plan is that. So uh, i got to be better all around uh, if I want to help my teammates out as much as possible. 
shoot to make it. Came up short. I'll shoot it again if I get the opportunity. <laughs> Man. Thanks, Jimmy Butler. Do you, do you uh, buy, going back uh, two years ago when I got really tired uh, of every loss, Cat blaming himself, do you buy what he says when, when, he, when he talks about I've got to be better and improve myself? Or do you think by this point it's just him saying what sounds good and that he's frustrated? It feels a little Andrew Luck-ish at this point. I, I In general, I love it when guys take the path of, like, I'll put it on myself because I'm the leader I, and stuff. I, I like, do, too, most of the time. But remember Andrew Luck before the arm injury when it was just— Andrew Luck was playing well, but he had no offensive line. They just traded a first-round pick for Trent Richardson. He had, like, one reliable wide receiver, and their defense was terrible. And after every loss, they could get beat 31-28, to 28 and he'd be like, it's on me, it's on me, yeah. throw for three touchdowns. It felt a little bit like that with Towns last night where he knows, all right, there's— there's more to it than just I have to play better, but I'm going to sit here and tell you that I have to play better because right. he's not the type of guy that's going to directly throw his teammates under the bus. But personally, he's ticked off, and I, I just recall, I think it was a couple of years back when it was every Wolves loss, he said the same thing. Yeah, It's all on me. It's got to be me. It's like, And at first I said, oh, great, he's accountable. And by about the 13th time, I said, this is really, really old. Yeah. And, and and I don't believe it at this point. Uh, Derrick Rose offensively was solid last night. He he missed a bunch of long twos. And uh, although he did he did make a three-pointer last night, which is he doesn't make those very often in his career. He did make a three-pointer, which was clutch of him. Uh, he wound up 7 of 14 from the field in 24 minutes. So he by far took the most shots per minute, which I believe has been a trend in the 10 or 11 games he's played for the Wolves. He just... He takes the most shots per playing time, and he kind of goes old school 2010 MVP Derrick Rose. But if you're asking me, and and like he was fine offensively last night, I'm not even like I'm not ripping him. He defensively he held his own a little bit. Um, I don't know if he's going to be able to do that every game in the series. But if you're giving me, I'm going to give you four guys off the bench. Let's forget about Gorgie here. Let's just go Bielitsa, Tyus Jones, Derrick Rose, and Jamal Crawford. Those four guys. Those four bench players. Rank them in terms of how good they are at basketball and like their overall game, shooting, driving, defense, maybe their fit against the Rockets. And in a playoff series, too, now, too. I, I would rank them in myself, yes. belly number one, because you, you're going to have to, you got to, he's a guy you have to empower to. You have to get him the ball. You have to, you have to tell him, hey, you're going to spot up and you're going to pull the trigger. Forget about your last five misses. He's kind of, there's a little bit of a soft nature about him, but. He's a very talented player. When he goes off, he can pass, he can rebound, he can shoot threes. He's number one. For me, Tyus Jones is actually number two. There's a lot of hidden defensive value there. He gets the ball moving offensively. Uh, There's a bunch of guys who need the ball in their hands. He doesn't as much. Like, he'll distribute and he'll get things going. Mm -hmm. Then I would go Crawford, three, and Derrick Rose, four. So just in any given situation, how good are those players and how helpful are they to the team? For me, number one, Belly, number two, Tyus, number three, Crawford, number four, Rose. Last night, the minutes went Crawford number one, Rose number two, and then Tyus three and Belly played only six minutes in that game last night. Yes. Six minutes. But the whole the whole thing with Classic Be- Tom the, Thibodeau. It, the thing with Belly goes back to, to what I was saying before. Belly needs to be empowered and given confidence, and if you do that, he, he will give you something. But they don't do it. The Denver game. The Denver game, Belly, I believe, was over four from the field and did not have a point. And yet, if you go back and watch that game just from the eye test, was one of, at times when he was on the floor, was one of the most impactful players because he played really hard and he did a lot of things that might not be sexy but are effective. I said this uh, to to uh, Collar on the 
Saturday show, I would have started Belly and brought Andrew Wiggins off the bench. I would have given Belly the start because, one, it empowers him completely. Two, he can shoot threes, right? And it would be another changeup. I would have started him. I, I would have said, you know, you deserve it. Andrew, prove it. That's fine. Um, but they won't do it. And and it comes down to they won't do it with Belly. And when it comes to the fact that Cat should get the ball, they don't do it. They are the Butler and Tibbs want you to get in their face. And that sounds great. I don't know what's going to happen. Yeah, and I don't know if it's like if it's that simple that they want like they're just like waiting for Towns to get in their faces. Like I, I don't know. There's such a disconnect. Whatever it is, there's clearly just a huge disconnect, and it makes it even more frustrating that they're able to almost win games like that with all of these things going wrong around them. Um, on the Rockets front, Clint Capella was just insane underneath. It helps when you have all these sniper three-point shooters and you can get free underneath and and uh, and guys will come off Clint Capella to help on rotations and then he just sneaks. He does a great job just kind of sneaking to the rim and and they find him. He went for 20. I mean, and if it was a matchup between Clint Capella and Carl Anthony Towns last night for, for parts of those mm-hmm. minutes, I mean, Clint Capella was the unstoppable one and Towns was invisible. Mm-hmm. He was invisible. Capella went for uh, 20 and 10 in the first half alone. So, yep. All right. Let's come back and let's, uh, if you missed it on Saturday, there was inspiration behind the Wilds' victory, impressive victory at the X last night against the Jets. And the inspiration is sitting in the studio with us, right in between Dave Harrigan and myself. <laughs> exactly in between us. A big piece of inspiration. The Mackie and Judd Show rolls on. Here we go. On 1500 ESPN. MLB The Show 18 is now out. If you're still playing MLB The Show 17, that's all right. You can transfer your saves over to MLB The Show 18 and continue the road to the show and your franchise. Home runs, steals, and epic catches. Get into the action and experience the best of baseball. MLB The Show 18, welcome to the show. Rated E for everyone. You can win your very own copy now on the 1500 ESPN stream player. Matt Dumba, who has a goal here tonight. Rings that around, Bufflin on it. Had the wall sealed by Granlin, who picks up the puck, shows it back in front, Stoll shoots, scores! Oh, what a feed by Granlin! Derek Stoll, 4-2 wild! Everybody knows if you lose game three, how difficult it is. And I mean, uh, especially playing these guys. So, I mean, you didn't want to get down three. I mean, I think desperation is the, is the best word and, and knowing what that could do. I mean, but it's still a you know, when you're down two, it's still a big hurdle. Welcome to the series, Mikhail Granlund, Eric Stahl, Marcus Foligno. It's only game three, but I mean, welcome it, to, to the series. Was anyone really part of the series until, I mean, Zach Parisi, I guess, was, yeah, was anyone like really not part on Friday. of the series? Not on Friday. Okay. Well, no, actually in game one, Parisi was good. They they had some guys who participated in game one, but uh, Granlund, Stahl, Felino's the one that drives you crazy because he played great last night, and he's the exact type of player that that you need in a series like this because he can hit. He's big enough. And you know, I don't allow Felino to have that kind of power over me to drive me crazy. Do you know that Marcus Felino Only Jamal Crawford. Do you know that Marcus Felino in a game against the Jets that was here in, I want to say, December or January, in the first period of a Saturday night game, so one period had seven shots on goal? This guy, when he wants to, when he wants to apply himself, can be fantastic. Skates on fire. But for the most part, disappears. Um, real quick, before we we got to play your ran here in a second. But, no, actually, you know what? I, the, 
I want to flush this whole like end of game two into game three thing out. Let's flush that out maybe at the top of the hour because there's a lot. I think there's a lot oh, of message, meat on that bone. The message was the sent. The message that was the, sent. The message was definitely sent. All right, the there's, last there, ten seconds. There's more there. Let's all right. Let's do this on Saturday. And I didn't hear this live, Dave. I'm assuming you didn't. You were out of town this weekend, right? Correct. Yes. But Twitter lights up. I get a text from Collar, and uh, and he said, "How do we? How can we take that Judd rant? That needs to be on the internet." Like Judd just went off on the wild, and so this is all over. Twitter, Facebook, this is Judd Zolgad pulling his best Herb Brooks moment. Not in the locker room, but in the studio here. As best I could. Is there any other setup here that you want to deliver for your finest moment? Collar and I started the show, and we're going back and forth, and Collar said, I want to sit back and listen to you just rant. And I I thought to myself, I just saw such a horse bleep hockey game, that's not going to be hard to do. (laughs) Okay. This was Judd on uh, Saturday. Somebody out there, it might be an employee of the team, is going to hear this and say, well, Ryan Suter's out. We don't have Ryan Suter. What are we supposed to do? All right. You got embarrassed last night. You got embarrassed for the last 40 minutes of that hockey game. I would like to put out APBs right now. Whatever the equivalent of a hockey Amber Alert is for Eric Stahl, for Jason Zucker, for Nino Niederreiter, for Mikael Granlund. He's a small guy. I'm concerned about him. For Charlie Coyle, who disappeared after the first period. For Zach Parisi, and don't tell me that he scored a goal last night. It was an absolutely meaningless goal. (laughs) You were literally run out of the building by the Jets. Now, here's the scary part. Ordinarily, if a team's bigger and stronger than you, you're faster, and so you can get by them, and you can generate some offense. They're also faster than you. They are better than you. I get that. The starting point is they're better than you. But that doesn't mean that you don't have to try. When Listen, dummies, honest to God, when your head coach in the postgame has to basically say, we are playing hard, you guys are making it sound like we're not, he's saying that because you're so mentally weak and fragile that he knows that if he piles on, you're all going to start crying. And by the way, you're also, here's the other thing that drives me crazy, you're going to come in tomorrow night on Sunday and you're going to play a good game. The wild is, I guarantee you they're going to play a good game. And then they even might win that game. And you know what we're going to hear? Nobody believes in us except the guys in this room. Y'all wrote us off after game two. You know why? Because you're the most mentally fragile, weak, wimpy group of human beings I've ever seen assembled. If you have any hope of seeing this team do anything in the playoffs, you have to blow the roster up. (laughs) Got six goals, didn't it, boys? Got six goals last night, didn't it? How about you? And, by the way, you don't get write-that-down credit because it wasn't an official write-that-down prediction, but your emphatic prediction at the end of that rant, they're they're going to play extremely well and probably win the game and then continue forward. Yep. That was, yes. We should almost give Judd some retroactive write-that-down credit. <laughs> for no, Saturday not gonna no Dave's gotta, not going to do that for me. Only on Friday. I knew Dave official. wouldn't do that for me. <laughs> but honestly. Game two doesn't, game so three doesn't matter unless you get game four, right? Because now if you fall down 3-1 to one to this team and yeah. uh, and now you're forced to win multiple road games after that. So Game 3 only matters if you pay it off with Game 4. Yes, it's fair and, to say that. and Game 3 only has credibility as far as to your, your personality and makeup if you now play the rest of the playoffs like you did Game 3. The Jets, I believe that the Jets are better. But what happened Friday had nothing to do with skill. 
It had to do with in the second period, the Jets said, We're big, we're bigger than you, and we're going to hit you. And this group disappeared. Somebody was telling me, uh, because I, I watched the game on TV and clearly was not there on Friday night, that by about midway through the second period, if Granlin got near a puck, he would sort of just reach out for it, extend his arm, but had no intention of being hit. And Granlin, Granlin drives me nuts because of this. Every playoff game he plays, he has to accept one thing. He might get hurt. But you know what? If he doesn't take the chance of getting hurt, he shouldn't be playing. And when you looked at Felino and Coyle and um, that group of guys who have the ability and the size to play with the Jets, and Dustin Bufflin, God bless him, I love him, but he blew up Erickson Eck in Game 1 and destroyed Koivu in Game 2. And after he destroyed Koivu in Game 2, this group just said, we're done. We're absolutely done. So what we saw last night was all well and good and fine. But there is no reason why they can't play like that now. And if they lose, they lose then. But there's no reason why they can't play like that for the rest of the series. Okay, so if we had a pie chart, just for fun here, uh, not a full pie chart, but a pie chart of praise for the Game 3 victory, what percentage of credit goes to the fighting at the end of Game 2? Oh, zero. That, That was gutless. That was the most... If they had started responding... See, this isn't... Here. Here's the thing. This isn't about fighting now. In 1985, it very much was. But this message sending by fighting is long gone. In this league, what this is about is when you start to get hit, do you respond by hitting back? And I, and by that, I mean checking. What we saw at the end of, uh, of Game 2 was embarrassing. And I, the tweets I got last night saying, well, you see, the Winnick fight. And, and by the way, fourth-line winger. He played a great game last night, but they won because he played well, not because he fought. Right, and I and I, I think it, that it dry it drives me nuts that anybody for and it wasn't even the right guys that got tough. Like if Coyle had come out and said, "I'm going to fight," I would have probably dropped dead. <laughs> but at least I would have said, "Oh, you know, Charlie Coyle has now for for the first time in two years tried to apply himself." Yeah. But when it's a fourth line guy, and but and the other thing, just quickly. They moved that last fight. The sealer fight at the end of the game was completely staged. Uh, the, the broadcast that I watched on Friday pointed it out. He's a defenseman. They lined him up on the wing with another defenseman to start a fight. Completely staged. So BS. I, I, I agree with you. I think, uh, and, and by the way, if you disagree with anything Judge has said, or if you uh, if you think the fight at the end of Game 2 had an impact on Game 3, 651 uh, 877-615-1500, I think if your answer is anything other than 0% credit, fight game two, performance game three, then aren't you insinuating? So I, I let me back it up. I think the Wild won last night based on things like better puck possession. They had certainly a better energy about them. Maybe it's playing in your home arena. And definitely team. like a better legal legal level of toughness in the game Absolutely, too, right? Absolutely, yes. Those are, those are the things I noticed. So if you think that you have to pick fights or start start brawls at the end of a game in which you're getting smoked to spark things like energy or toughness or just better passing and and better finishing like the Granlin goal where he sort of crashes the left side of the net and gets a rebound and puts it in on the power play last night like that has nothing nothing to do with what happened at the end of game 2 and if you need a fight like that at the end of a blowout game in order to play with more energy or legal toughness in your next contest, then I'm with you. It shows how mentally fragile you are. So 
This is this is a very similar formula to most wild playoff series. You've got the numbers. They're like one in fifteen or whatever in, in their games last sixteen. One and two. Yes. So winning in game three is not shocking. Carried over into game four. Carried over when you go back to Winnipeg for game five and validate what you did last night. Yes. It was awesome. Validate it for once, please. And for the rest of the series, if you do get destroyed by a check, get up and keep playing. That's If they don't now come back and play just as hard and just as well in game four and five, then they are as mentally weak as I said that they were after game two. It's that simple. Let's take one call here quick. Doug, you're on with Mackie and Judd. Hey, uh, one name I guess aren't uh, mentioning is Winnick. Where the heck has he been? He's one of the biggest players we got on the team. Played well last night. Fourth line played well. Yeah, but he's never hits anybody. You ever notice? No, he, he did last night. No, I disagree. No, no, he he played. He, he last yeah, he night that fourth line played really game. well. The other night, the chump that guy, but and by the way, Doug, 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 you're dumping on Daniel Winnick. How about Charlie Coyle? Where is he? Oh, I agree. I okay, agree let's let's go Charlie after the top Neal, nine. Okay, Neal. let's go after the top nine. Let's go after the, the guys who were supposed to be the future of this team, who are supposed to be the oh, future I'm, captains. I'm not up for any of them. I just think Winnick, for as big as he is, could throw his body around a little bit more. He That's did last all. night, Doug. He did. Doug, thank you for the phone call. Oh, our winter sports teams. <laughs> If, I'm telling you, Phil, if this, if this was a winning sports town, games won for the Wolves and Wild would have driven us absolutely batty. They're both eminently winnable games. You mean it didn't drive you batty? I can't tell. I Well, we keep saying things like, and I was guilty of, of this. I came in and said, well, the Wild played well, and they did play a decent game. But if this was, if this was a sports town where we were used to success, we would be dumping on both those teams. Instead, up and down the dial, we're, oh, this is so great. We're in the playoffs. This is so much fun to be in the playoffs. What do you mean by up and down the dial? I don't want to talk about it any further. <laughs> Sounds like somebody's being a meaningless negative. I'm just so happy that we're in the playoffs. Good for you, Timberwolves. You are a meaningless Go negative. Go <laughs> Let's take a break.